Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson. October 11 gives us episode number 114. Well, just ahead, why surging gas prices are strangely helping a big construction company. Plus, a giant software merger hopes to bring the cutting edge in technology to transform old industrial businesses. And is the threat of ransomware getting worse? We're going to talk to Zscaler CEO Jay Chowdhury about how his $37 billion company is focused on that noxious threat and zero trust. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the Drill Down podcast on your favorite smart speaker. Just ask that smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast, and you can listen to every show. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We'll explain the business stories behind the stocks and the move. Joining me as always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, tell me the three most important developments in the world of business today. Corey, let's start with oil. The price of oil jumped above 80 bucks. Oil is now on track to outpace copper this year by the largest amount since 2002 and is topping an index of raw materials by the biggest margin in more than a decade Natural gas isn't so far behind. It's climbing higher and outpacing other commodities as well. Why? Supply shortages. Yeah, so you say outpace copper by the largest amount. You mean the increase in the price is greater than even copper? You got it. Amazing. Uh, it's, and you're seeing it, as you mentioned, natural gas. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Yeah. Now let's move on to Southwest Airlines. Uh, I don't know about you, but... That was on the tip of a lot of people's tongues this weekend. Southwest Airlines canceling several hundred flights today, Monday, and that's after canceling over 1,800 flights over the weekend. That's more than 28% of its overall uh, flights overall. The cancellations wreaked havoc on travel plans, as you can imagine. Southwest blamed the cancellations on several causes, including problems with the weather, air traffic control, and an inability to get flight crews and planes to where they needed to be. Yeah, not... not but maybe coincidentally, but their union was protesting a rule about a vaccine mandate for their employees. Just when a lot yeah. of employees decided not to go to work this weekend, they say it wasn't a coordinated event. But I flew this weekend and there were no problems in the other airlines. And now let's move on to Amazon. Amazon once again changed its return to office plans. The company now expects that some corporate employees will work remotely for the foreseeable future. Amazon chief executive at Andy Jassy said in a memo to employees that corporate team directors will now decide if staff need to return to work uh, return to work in the office. Now, just a few months ago, Amazon said it was delaying its corporate employees returning to the office until at least January 3rd. And earlier, it had been targeting a return to a return to the office last month. So moving target. So no, no target now. Disappearing target. Target is up to um, team directors. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? 
Let's look at New Fortress Energy. New Fortress Energy, NFE, shares rose almost 2% today, but they fall in 28% in a year. Tell me about New Fortress Energy. Yeah, the stock's actually been on a little bit of a run uh, lately, not so much today, but in recent days. Um, pretty interesting changes in this company. They, uh, let me back up with the company. So they helped design massive LNG facilities in Mexico and Brazil and gas-fired power plants in Nicaragua, all from a headquarters based in New York City. Now, the operating this quarter, uh, it had been looking like operating income was going to be bad. The revenue's growing fantastically, but it looked like because of high gas prices, operating, you know, uh, uh, the high gas prices you were just mentioning, that operating profits were just getting squeezed and the, the demand for new projects just wasn't there. Well, they came out and announced uh, that, in fact, uh, with an 8K filing just filed a couple of days ago, that, in fact, uh, there's a meaningful increase in their um, outlook for Q4, and they're increasing their 2022 goals for the entire year. And then, in fact, high gas prices have been really good for them because they kind of operate at a margin where more projects means more profits and bigger profits. Um, their operating profit goal went from $170 million to $374 million in the upcoming quarter, and they doubled, uh, basically. Uh, also, you know, into next year, they're saying they've got a margin goal of uh, going from a billion dollars to a billion one. What's an extra hundred million dollars between friends? Well, what's interesting about these guys is that they just say it's sort of an optionality that their industry provides for them, that when things are good um, in that industry with prices, profits can be great. Here is CEO Wesley Edens. When the market really moved dramatically, there's lots of different actions you can take to try to increase your flexibility and move around, you know, volumes and, you know, uh, deliveries and whatnot. And relatively small movements across the big portfolio results in a handful of, of cargo moves. That may not sound like a very big thing, but then when you get these kind of price movements, it results in a big, uh, big earnings swing. And so the real question, I think, um, or my answer to the question you have is, how likely is it in the future that there's going to be future shocks to the system? And this underinvestment in hydrocarbon production, which I think is actually a very systemic issue, is one that is going to be persistent. And that puts the world on kind of a nice edge in the commodity cycle. And so you're going to get these 100-year floods happening, I believe, you know, with, with a, a much more frequency than every 100 years. So interesting, you've got, you know, this big discussion about how much natural gas do you pump when prices are high? Has there been enough investment? Has there been too much investment? From these guys' perspective, there's an underinvestment, and that's going to mean greater price volatility, and that's good for them. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's look at Aspen Technology. Aspen Technology trades under AZPN. Shares rose 12% today, and they've risen 18% in a year. What's uh, going on with Aspen Technology? Do you know the business Emerson Electric based in St. Louis? Your Very hometown. familiar, actually. Yeah. So these guys have been going in a, some really interesting acquisitions of late, and it includes now Aspen Technology, or more to the point, they're, they're spinning off two of their Emerson Electric software businesses and paying $11 billion to acquire Aspen and form one big industrial software company, which will be called Aspen. Uh, they're combining OSI, a company they acquired a year ago for about a little less than $2 billion, Emerson Geological Simulation Software, and Aspen all under one roof. So you're going to have this industrial software company focused on everything from analyzing the results from oil drilling wells to streamlining mining operations to coming up with new ways, and this is really important, new ways to make plastic 
that don't require the use of natural gas. So by spinning off all these businesses, Emerson's going to have a greater valuation on their software business, but it'll continue to own 55%, which protects them from a taxable gain on the spinoff. But that software valuation is going to be greater than their slow-growing industrial business, like making pipe wrenches, which Emerson does. And interestingly, uh, again, they're looking at kind of new, more modern ways to uh, make things like plastic without having to use natural gas. Here is CEO, uh, the Aspen CEO, Antonio Peretti. Now, now Aspen technology is incredibly relevant uh, for the power industry and really for the global economy as a whole around electrification. Uh, you, you've probably heard of some of our customers in the chemical space. They're talking about electrical ethylene crackers, where basically they're not going to use gas to fuel the conversion of, of NASTA or natural gas into, into plastics. They're going to use electricity. And, and we're going to be able to take those capabilities into our customer base and talk to them about optimizing their, their microgrids and, and, and their power sources. So very different production process uh, for this company, and that's leading to more software sales. Now they have a cleaner industrial software company to rely on. Corey, what is your next drill down? Protagonist Therapeutics. Protagonist Therapeutics trades under PTGX. Shares jumped 93% today and they've risen 60% in a year. What? How? 93% a day? That's pretty good. Uh, it, is, it, is, uh, it is what the, the, the TV bubble TV people say. It's a roller coaster ride on Wall Street. This stock has gone nuts. It's gone straight up and straight down and straight back up again. Um, Protagonist uh, is uh, has a drug a treatment for a disease that doesn't have any other real good treatments, and they've had some issues with the FDA. So let's back up and talk about what what the diseases are trying to deal with, how they're dealing with it, and what's going on with the FDA. So there's a disease called polycythema, which is the thickening of blood by the overproduction of red blood cells. It's a genetic mutation, and it can lead to blood clots and heart attacks and things like that. This company, Protagonist has come up with something called rusfertide, a treatment for that. They've been deep in the studies of this and their phase two studies. All of a sudden, they got a phone call from the FDA on September 17th, not even a letter or email, whatever, a phone call, saying, stop your phase two studies with humans right away. We had a transgenetic mouse model with benign and malignant tumors showing up after 26 weeks. So they yanked the study. They stopped the phase two study. They, they contact all the patients and their phase, the human patients. In their phase two study, transgenetic mouse, Isaac, you're wondering, what's a transgenetic mouse? What does that mean? It's a mouse that's been modified genetically. They got a microinjection of DNA, and they use this to study gene function and generate models for human genetic disease, diseases like polycythema or polycythemia. There we go. Um, well, this mouse had some issues, benign and malignant uh, subcutaneous tumors, tumors just under the skin, uh, the FDA stopped the trial. Well, today the FDA removed the clinical hold in the trial. Phase two trials can now uh, resume again. And yes, you said saw protagonist therapeutic stock go bonkers today because it looked like good news again. Indeed, some of the phase two results looked really good for this thing. Now they're just going to uh, monitor their patients. And indeed, they've had time to keep an eye on these patients over the last month or so during this pause 
and they looked for any new cases of, of cancer, of carcinoma, of skin cancer, or any new safety signals, and they didn't see them, but they actually had some time to look for this now. So they're going to change the rules of the study. They're going to look for these particular issues the FDA has identified. The FDA has been able to review their own safety um, uh, uh, protocols and have found them to be acceptable. And so it's all systems go for the phase two trials that could help a lot of people with this genetic disease. Here is the uh, SVP of clinical development, um, uh, Stanford-trained protagonist therapeutics, Paula O'Connor. Importantly, no new cases of carcinoma and no new safety signals um, were identified. In light of the RASH2 findings, we have put in place a number of new measures to enhance patient safety. These include the incorporation of new subject and, and study stopping rules based upon the development of any cancer, the incorporation of cancer surveillance rules, including a requirement for augmented regular dermatologic examinations, and cancer surveillance based upon age, gender, and disease risk. So new uh, rules, uh, and they're clear to go with the phase two study, and it's seen as a real positive sign for this company. All right, coming up next, we're going to look at Zero Trust, the emerging paradigm for cybersecurity in the leading company in that space, Zscaler. CEO Jay Chowdhury comes to join us to talk about how some changes from the White House, from the Biden administration are leading right now to new orders. But first. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. All right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We've got Jay Chowdhury joining us right now. He is the CEO of Zscaler. Jay, we're glad to have you back on the show. I want to start kind of top level about what the company is and why the challenges in cybersecurity are just so right for Zscaler as it happens. And then I want to kind of get into the weeds about what's going on in their business right now. So on a very high level, your business was sort of perfectly set up. Your approach to cybersecurity is perfectly set up for a time when people would no longer be sitting at their desk in the office, running apps off the cloud through a data, through a server. But in fact, you know, COVID comes along and scatters us all to the wind and we're all working remotely and accessing and all kinds of networks, all kinds of devices, some secure, some not so secure. What is the approach that you guys, what is Zero Trust? Cody, in 2008, when I started Zscaler, I was already seeing applications like Salesforce being hosted in the cloud. People are beginning to work from home. So I thought of a world where you don't have to build your own networks, you don't have to buy and deploy your own security devices like firewalls. And I said, if Zscaler could build an intelligent switchboard or maybe a communication exchange in the cloud in many locations, so a user can come and connect with us and we verify who you are and we connect you to right application, life will be wonderful. That's a world we conceived where people can work from anywhere and applications could be anywhere. And that's really the zero trust philosophy. And COVID pandemic has accelerated the adoption of it because we all had to work from no matter where we were. Including where I am, where the fire trucks are hopefully not coming for me right now. Um, if you heard them in the far in the distant background, 
Um, it's also interesting that, that this notion of, I think we've always looked at cybersecurity and lots of other things, uh, the metaphor of building a moat, right? Or of building thicker and thicker walls mm -hmm. around the assets you want to protect um, is just doesn't work when you're mobile, doesn't work when you're on disparate networks and disparate mm -hmm. devices. Yeah, so the old school model was my castle, my moat, I'm inside the castle, I'm safe, enemies outside the castle. If you really think about it, in today's world, from military point of view, castles and moats no longer help. In the same way, the users have left the castle, applications have left the castle, they work from anywhere. So the old metaphor of firewalls and VPNs is really irrelevant, and security had to be done differently. You know, when we all hear about ransomware attacks, and we're surprised, we shouldn't be. We're still being protected by those firewalls and VPNs. So the world has to change. Hackers are moving at a faster pace than our corporations. So we need to change, and it's good to see Biden administration pushing for zero trust adoption to protect our infrastructure and to protect our IP. Well, I want to get right to that. I was going to save that for a minute, but let's talk specifically what's coming out of the White House right now and how that's translating into orders. What are you seeing? We have had some... Um, kind of, I, I'm going to call it pretty clear guidance, of what, like we don't usually see from Washington, clear guidance about what companies should do, what private companies should be doing and publicly traded companies should be doing about cybersecurity, employing zero trust. Is that turning into orders? And indeed, is that turning into Z-scalar orders with the federal government? What's that, what are you seeing on the ground right now? Yeah, let's separate two things. First, let's talk about national security, secure of the country, then talk about the orders. So first of all, by raising visibility using the megaphone of the president, the awareness across all companies that we must improve cybersecurity has gone up. Every CIO, every CISO, and the boards are asking for how do we secure our companies, how do we secure our enterprises. I think that's goodness. That's how everything starts. Then when it comes to securing the federal government, it is true now that every agency is looking for better ways to secure their agencies. Zscaler got its cloud security platform certified on what's known as FedRAMP certification. You must have certification before you can talk to federal government. We got that. We got a large sales team serving the federal government. We got tons of activities. Yes, we are. We are doing business with federal government. We are seeing more opportunities, though everything in federal government takes longer. But it is actually converting into real business. I think you'll see a lot more of it in the next probably six to 12 months. So is it stuff that's going to show up? I mean, because it has been now a good six months since we first heard this from the Biden administration. Um, uh, you know, are those, it would seem like that's kind of the time frame when if it's going to be immediate action, immediate for the government might mean nine months. Yes, it's beginning to happen, there's tangible activities. But as I said, it may still take a quarter or two for more tangible uh, engagements and, and projects to get started. But it it's, looks very promising. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. But how does that look different? Like what happens What's happening now that wasn't happening two years ago when there's a big hack making headlines and the federal government or the White House was saying we shouldn't have these things, we need to have more security. 
What what's tangibly different than you're seeing um, on your end right now? I think first of all, there's a concerted effort at the federal government. There's a security office. All these agencies are actually taking action, uh, taking steps to get to the next level. So there are projects being put in place. They're coming and talking to providers like us and say, I need to implement zero trust. Here are my gaps. Here is my projects need to be done. There's guidance on zero trust provided by involving NIST. NIST is a standards body. Basically saying this is how you should do it. There are talks coming out of the federal government saying, what kind of things should you do if you get hacked? Should you be really uh, announcing it or should you keeping it under the rug? I think all those things are good actions that are taking place, which were missing before. Interesting. You know, there have been so many uh, headline grabbing hacks for a long time now. I always felt that the Sony hack was one that affected companies differently. In this case, it was just embarrassing because you had executives who saw their private emails um, out in the world and, and that indeed cost a Sony executive a job uh, and had a big repercussions beyond yep. that. I, I feel like, and I really mean that from a feeling standpoint, that the Colonial Pipeline hack was just different. It was a different order of magnitude of you know, it wasn't the biggest business in the world. It wasn't the most uh, impactful um, infrastructure in the in in the nation, but it felt different to companies. I wonder if you're seeing from your standpoint that that hack in particular was one where companies changed their behavior mm -hmm. towards cybersecurity providers such as yourself. Yeah, Cody, you started with Sony, yes, years ago. Then Target was one of the biggest ones. And then right. in the past 15 months, solar winds actually shook up everyone. Solar winds was a supply chain attack. Solar winds said, gee, I am using the same software which is compromised and I could be compromised. So that was probably the highest impact. And after that, Colonial Pipeline was big because it directly touched the infrastructure of the country where you could say, gee, I mean, I could be impacted. So I would say in the past 15 to 18 months, combination of Colonial Pipeline and solar winds made the biggest impact and people are, the dialogue has changed. The board discussions have changed. In the past six months, I've been asked to come and present to several boards which said, are we doing the right thing? Should we be doing the right thing? So this level of awareness at the board level, I have not seen before. It's interesting too, in this sort of, uh, we have a drinking game in this show. I will, I'll say the word so you don't have to drink, but the uh, digital transformation that so many companies talk about, it almost has become a cliche, uh, whenever that phrase is mentioned on our show. But I was looking at the Aspen Technologies um, acquisition today, and it was just another sign of this dramatic move of companies that exist almost solely in the physical world in, in, in industrial um, uh, production who are really engaging in software and a digital transformation, yes, uh, in ways that they never have before, creating a whole new vector of, of, of cybersecurity risk. Absolutely. And they need to because everything is changing. In fact, it's interesting to see some of these uh, brick and mortar companies. In the past 18 months, a lot of their business shifted to online people buying online and they needed to change that. And a lot of businesses are very pleased they made the change, but that also makes it easy 
for bad guys to come in and steal and do bad things out there. So they, we all need to have better cyber protection and that's where Zscatter comes in. And part of the, the growth of Zscatter is driven by the fact that there's digital transformation going on, that everything needs to be done online. Then there's a cyber attacks on top of that. So that's kind of, and then we built the right architecture which is meant for the, the new world rather than the old school firewalls and VPNs alike. So wonderful that you were prepared for this and, and, and had the notion before it was as necessary as it is now. But I'm curious what you do to change your organization to take advantage of this opportunity, specifically on the sales side. What, what have you done to try to change the way your sales staff works, change the way it's staffed, period, to try to take advantage of the changing opportunity? You know, the biggest thing I had to do in the past several years was fight off inertia. I was often asked by investors, who is your biggest competition? And they'll name all these legacy companies, firewall companies and the like. I had to tell them, no, 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 that's not the competition. Inertia is powerful. People like to keep on doing things that the way they're done for 10 years, 20 years. So you evangelize, you educate, and then you get to a certain level of mass. Today, 35% of Fortune 500 companies use Zscaler. So then those CIOs and CISOs are talking to their peers. They talk about how they have actually embraced zero trust with Zscaler. And they talk about how the risk posture has gotten better, the user experience has gotten better, and the cost has gone down. So all that is accelerating our growth. So we're still growing at a at about 55 to 60% year over year, at a pretty large scale, our business is approaching a billion dollar in annual recurring revenues. And for that, we had to train our sales teams. So we really don't sell the way we used to. Security vendors used to sell to technical audience about feeds and speeds of these boxes. Our dialogue starts with the CIO and CISO as they want to do digital transformation, they want to go online, they want to embrace cloud. We show them how our security platform can help them get their security. So have you therefore had to change the sales process or have you had to move bodies from one place to another? Obviously you're hiring like crazy, but have you had to re-emphasize things that weren't the huge emphasis mm -hmm. before federal bring, it comes to mind once again? Yeah, we had to change the sales process. A typical sales process for security is sold, sell to technical people on feeds and speeds of the boxes. We had to show how CIOs can accelerate the digital transformation securely. If they deploy the application in the cloud, how can they access them securely in a faster fashion? If they embrace Microsoft Teams or Zooms, how can they have good experience? Because we allow these customers to go direct over the internet, taking the shortest path, rather than going back through the old school data center because the security mode was sitting in the data center. So it's faster, it's cheaper, and it's more secure. Fascinating company, Zscaler. Uh, and as you say, growing by leaps and bounds. Jay Chowdhury, we so appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the show. When the drill down continues, we'll have the drill down bite that one number that tells us a whole lot. In this case about Zscaler, we're going to talk about how many licensed seats there are, people who actually have Zscaler and are paying Zscaler installed on their machines 
at any given moment. The number's big and getting bigger. We'll have that number when the drill down continues. The drill down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the drill down. I said in English again, you can listen to the drill down every day. It's easier when you use a smart speaker. Just turn to that smart speaker and say, for example, hey, Alexa, play the drill down podcast and you'll hear our latest show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. Okay, we are back with the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Well, wow, they have so many licensed seats at uh, uh, Zscaler. 26 million, more than 26 million license user seats um, uh, and uh, you know it's it's going quite well for these guys in terms of their growth and people really adopting this new um, paradigm for cybersecurity. All right, we've been listening to the Drill Down Podcast. We do appreciate your time. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. 